begin with prayer. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to what you have for us in your word, that we would submit ourselves under your authority and, uh, and with great joy, with great pleasure. So I pray that you would help, uh, especially from any distractions of our hearts and our minds, that we would be, um, that we'd be truly focused on you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. The verses we'll be taking up this morning in Matthew 6 are verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, so why this particular passage? The reason is, as I have opportunity to preach here at Grace, I've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. So here we are, laying up treasures in heaven is our topic. A uh, few details about the Sermon on the Mount that are important for us to revisit. Jesus, when he came on the scene, he announced that the kingdom of God is here. Now that's an astonishing statement. That's going to get some people's attention, and indeed it, it did. But not just because of what he said, but his life and his actions in his ministry, he was healing people of various illnesses, diseases. He was uh, accomplishing great miracles. He was astonishing people, and especially with his teaching. He was teaching with such authority that people were gravitating to him. They recognized this is no mere man. And so with a great crowd gathered around him, we find that Jesus goes up on a mountain, and with his disciples sitting at his feet, with the crowd surrounding him, he teaches them. What he teaches them? The Sermon on the Mount, which is what we have recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So the Sermon on the Mount is the authoritative word of the king to his disciples. Jesus is explaining to them what the kingdom life looks like for his followers, what it means to be under the authority of the true king. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives about 50 direct commandments. Two of those commandments we'll look at this morning. But what Jesus is doing is interesting. He's not just giving them a list of do's and don'ts, of something that we can easily just do and consider ourselves righteousness, uh, consider ourselves righteous. Jesus is going much deeper. What he is dealing with is a righteousness of a heart, of what it means to be truly a disciple, what it means to truly follow him. And in fact, even in the Beatitudes, he spoke of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so Jesus is going after the heart on various topics. Well, he turns his attention to wealth. And Jesus actually spoke on wealth more than any other social issue, more than marriage, more than politics, more than work, more than sex, more than power. He spoke on wealth quite often. And why? The reason Jesus would speak on wealth, and Paul as well, and the scriptures speak on wealth, 
is because we are, every human is a worshiper. We will worship. We will either worship the creator or we'll worship things within the creation. In other words, we'll either treasure Christ or we will turn and we'll treasure our treasures. And so Jesus hits at the heart of the worshiper by turning his attention to the topic of wealth. Now, very few people actually say, I want to live my life for wealth. Very few of us actually start off that way. But there is a drift, there is a temptation that our hearts can go more and more towards wealth. In fact, uh, a poll was once taken with this question, what would you do for a million dollars? And there is various answers that you could check. 42% of the people said that for a million dollars, they would be willing to spend time in jail. They would be willing to never see their best friend again. They'd be willing to permanently move to a foreign country. But here's my favorite. 42% of the people said that they'd be willing to throw their pet off a cliff. Yeah, it's brutal. So we have to ask the question, what would we do for a million dollars? Would we be tempted to do anything foolish or outlandish? Because if we would, then it gets at the heart of the issue. Have we bought into the world's perspective of wealth? Is life really about upward mobility? Is it about having more, having greater, having bigger in order to be more comfortable, more satisfied, more secure? Is that what life is really about? Francis Schaeffer, who was a great Christian thinker, Um, and especially wrote a lot, lectured a lot on the topic in the 60s and 70s of our Western culture, he spoke of a shift that was taking place, the shift that was taking place away from God as our absolute truth, away from God as a personal God who has spoken into our lives and that we can be fully satisfied in. And as our culture was shifting away from that, here's what he says, our culture adopted two impoverished values, personal peace and affluence. Here's what he says. Personal peace means just to be left alone, not to be troubled by the troubles of other people, whether across the world or across the city, to live one's life with minimal possibilities of being personally disturbed. Personal peace means wanting to have my personal life pattern undisturbed in my lifetime, regardless of what the result will be in the lifetime of my children or my grandchildren. He goes on to say, affluence means an overwhelming and ever-increasing prosperity, a life made up of things, things, and more things, a a success judged by an ever-higher level of material abundance. Now, we would hold, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if we take that statement, what Schaefer is saying is that The more that we push God out of our society, the more we will seek to glorify ourselves. And instead of enjoying God, we will have to look to other things to enjoy. It moves us in the direction of personal peace and affluence. But it will never truly satisfy. So it takes us down a road and leaves us absolutely empty. It leaves our culture in a place of apathy. And obviously, we see it all around us. But it's not just our culture. We in the church, obviously, we are constantly being bombarded by the message of live your life for all that stuff out there, and it will absolutely lead to apathy. And I'll go ahead and give my sermon away right now. Jesus 
disagrees with the values of personal peace and affluence. <laughs> Jesus was not about upward mobility, was he? If anything, Jesus was all about downward mobility. The second person of the Trinity, he took on flesh, born into a poor condition, suffered immensely on this earth, even to the point of suffering a shameful death on a cross. Jesus has something different to say about upward mobility because the point that Jesus will make and the whole New Testament makes as well, I could say the Old Testament as well, all the scriptures make the point that we are to be about upward mobility of shifting our focus, our hearts, our eyes, not on the things of the earth, but on the things of the Lord, on the things of heaven. That is the upward mobility we're to be about. So Jesus begins here with two commands. Verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus begins with a negative. Don't do this. Don't lay up treasures on earth. And then he follows that up with, do this, lay up treasures in heaven. But we have to ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to lay up treasures on the earth, and why is that dangerous? Well, first, what doesn't it mean? Jesus is not banning savings accounts. He's not banning financial planning. He's not banning ownership of property. In fact, the scriptures in various places talk about... Um, and honor those who are wise with their money, who are wise planners. If you think of Proverbs chapter 6, the ant, it works hard. It prepares ahead of time. There's also other passages where scriptures declare that the believer who does not provide for his family is worse off than an unbeliever. We see that in 1 Timothy 5.8. Also, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 14 talks about how parents are to save for their children and not the reverse. And then it's not, uh, and Jesus obviously isn't saying that material possessions are a bad thing. And in fact, 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, to re if it is received with thanksgiving. Obviously a key word there. God has created great gifts, but especially we are to, we're to receive these with thankful hearts. So Jesus isn't condemning... Um, the appropriate provisions and enjoyment of God's good gifts. But what is he condemning then? He's condemning a heart-level preoccupation that lends itself towards greed, towards loving these things above our Lord. What he's speaking about is, uh, or forbids, the laying up. In other words, the storing up, the saving, putting aside things for godless, selfish, greedy gain. So it leads to the question, so what are our treasures on earth? Our treasures on earth are those things that, uh, those things that we absolutely long for above and beyond what God has really called us to love in this earth. We, we could, when we think of treasures on earth, it's easy at times, at least I'm tempted to think, well, this is for those of a higher income bracket than me. That's for those sinners. I'm okay, but Jesus just doesn't let us go there. This passage is for the rich and for the poor because treasures on earth aren't just about money. Treasures on earth are anything that can be eaten by moths 
or rusted or stolen. So if we think in those terms, eaten by moths, clothes, fabrics, anything that rusted could be precious metals. Anything that can be stolen is everything else that we might consider a treasure. So uh, that covers a lot of ground there. It's anything that we set our hearts on above the Lord. So in other words, Jesus isn't so much concerned with our possessions as he is with the attitude, the perspective, our heart, and where our heart goes towards our possessions. A few years ago, I got a phone call from Tiffany. I was at work, and she said, Chad, uh, when you get home, one of our sons, I'll protect his name, uh, one of your sons, is uh, he's pretty upset, and you're going to need to go talk to him. Okay. So I'm wondering, okay, what can this be about? So I get home, go upstairs to his bedroom, said, hey, uh, what's going on? And he, his head's down, his lips quivering, and he is sad. Like, you can tell me. He's like, well, Dad, you know how you've told us that we're to love Jesus above everything? And at this point, I'm bracing myself. Like, yeah. He sighs. He says, Dad, I'm having a hard time loving Jesus more than Batman. And he holds up his Batman. It's a cool-looking little Batman. So just to press this way too far, what's your Batman? What are the things that we look to for our satisfaction? What are the things that we struggle with? The list, um, the list can be long on these things. It can come down to the almighty dollar. It can come down to our savings accounts, our retirement plans. Are we going to be okay in the future? It could be promotions and raises at work, things that we're so hungry for, as if the Lord will not provide for his children. It could be our possessions, clothes, our cars, an immaculately decorated house. could be things like particular seats at certain sporting events that we desperately want. We could be preoccupied with a lot of things along the lines of possessions, but it's not just money or possessions as well. We can be preoccupied with our careers and our hobbies to our spiritual detriment and to the spiritual detriment of our own families. Or it could be a preoccupation with our appearance, that we consider our appearance a treasure. We spend all our money and time on it as best we can. Treasures can be our status. It can be, our treasures can be the things that people think of us, that we can be preoccupied. Do they like me? Do they think I'm funny? Do they think I'm smart? All these things can be treasures. And oftentimes, our treasures are the things that we daydream about. And with a lot of these things, in and of themselves, they're not necessarily bad, are they? But again, it's a question of, are we preoccupied with these things? So what's the danger? Jesus goes on to talk about, the first danger is the fact that moths and rust and thieves will destroy In other words, we actually can't take these things with us. So the one danger is centering all our focus, our our attention, our heart on the things that are actually going to stay on the earth are going to be destroyed. And eventually, they will all be destroyed. And James has a great warning for us on this. In James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, he says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. 
quite a strong warning there. And that goes in the direction of where Jesus is going. Because it's not just that Jesus is giving us good practical advice of don't, don't put your heart here because it's not going to last. That is good advice. But the, the, the warning goes deeper. And it goes to verse, 19, uh, verse 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that brings us to the question of where is our heart? Where is the devotion of our heart? You could say it this way. What do you love? St. Augustine asked this probing question in his life. He asked, what do you love? In other words, what, why do you get up in the morning? What are your priorities? What cares and concerns do you give your time, your attention, your money to? <clears throat> Excuse me. What do you love? And this is a different question than what do you believe? Because we can believe a lot of things about the scriptures. But what do we love? Because what we believe doesn't always match up with what we love. And we see this in particular with the rich young ruler. Turn over a few chapters to Matthew chapter 19. The rich young ruler is a, a great example of, of one that actually knew the scriptures, believed things, but we need to look at what he loved. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, that's Jesus, said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept, what still do I lack? And Jesus said to him, if you'll be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What do we learn from this? Again, the rich young ruler, he knew the commandments. But he did not recognize that his God was actually his treasure. And look what Jesus does. It is as, as if Jesus just splits his sternum, goes right for the heart, grabs a hold of his heart, and shows him, this is your God. Because Jesus' normal advice isn't, go sell everything you possess and then you will have heaven. But for this rich young ruler, that's what he needed to hear. Because Jesus was confronting him on his very God. And so the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And what does Jesus go on to say? He says, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And why? Why is it difficult why is it difficult? Obviously, because if riches are our God, that's what we devote ourselves to. But even playing this out in the Sermon on the Mount, it's interesting because this goes against the first beatitude. The very first thing that Jesus says as he opens the Sermon on the Mount is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the poor in spirit, who are they? They're the ones that understand their great need for the Lord. The, they understand their need of the gospel. They understand that their only hope is in God. So when, in our minds and in our hearts, we look to other things 
whether it is, and we say, if I just had this, and this could be certain possessions, that this can be, if it's just that 5000 extra dollars a year of income, then we'd be secure, then we'd be comfortable, then we'd, we'd be where we need to be. We have to recognize that as we're saying those things in our hearts, we're actually moving more and more away from what it means to be poor in spirit. Because we have to be able to recognize, as the poor in spirit recognize, that our security, our happiness, our comfort, all those things, the very foundation is in Christ and in Christ alone. But then the ultimate fulfillment of that is in heaven. And so if we're looking for that on earth, we will not be satisfied. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit heaven. And they will be satisfied. The Beatitudes are clear that if we go in the direction of our hearts devoted to the Lord, we will be satisfied. So Jesus warns us from the danger of our hearts being tied to the world. And this is further emphasized in verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, at first glance, this seems to be a shift in thought of Jesus was talking about our heart and our devotion and our treasures. And then he shifts to the eyes and something about bodies and light. And so we have to look at what's he doing here. We'll recognize he starts off speaking of two kinds of treasures, treasure on earth treasure on heaven. But his thought continues because now he's looking at two kinds of vision. There's a vision of light and a vision of darkness. And it's an interesting thing that he does. As Jesus is talking about this, he uses the word that we would translate as healthy or some of the versions of the Bible may say, if the eye is healthy or good or sound, something along those lines. The word actually could be also translated as generous. So Jesus is saying, if your eye is generous. But then he goes on to say, in verse 23, but if your eye is bad. Even that word can be translated in our Bibles. Most of us say bad or evil. Another way that could be translated is envious. So Jesus is not just describing the eye. He's describing our perspective with respect to wealth. That we can have eyes that are either generous or we can have eyes that are envious as we look around and desire things. And so the point he's making goes a little deeper towards our hearts, and it's this. That Jesus is, tell, Jesus is not just urging us to try harder, try harder, do better. He's actually urging us to examine ourselves, to take a close look has the gospel actually penetrated our heart in such a way that it has changed the direction of our eyes and it's changed our lives? Because we can look around us and, and we can understand that for non-believers who have no hope of eternity, then they're going to store up treasures on earth. That makes sense. But Jesus is saying, take a look at your lives. If your life looks like that of the unbeliever, and that you're putting your hope in everything, your treasures on this earth, then have you come to a point of bowing your heart and your knees to the Lord Jesus? 
Jesus is calling us to examine ourselves. And do we look at our gifts that the Lord has given us? And are we generous with those? Do we think about those around us? Which leads us to the question, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? We've talked about what Jesus has said of not to lay up treasures on earth, but what does it actually mean when he's saying lay up treasures in heaven? We lay up treasures in heaven by investing our time, our money, our energy, and the things that go beyond this world, the things that have ripple effects into eternity. First Timothy, if you want to turn uh, to First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, has a, has a passage for us that's very helpful along these lines. First Timothy 6 and verse 17 through 19, Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So right here, as for the rich, and that would be all of us, as for the rich in this age, we are charged to do good, to do good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, and to understand and take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, as we've been blessed with the riches of various sorts, we are to utilize that in a way that has ripple effects into eternity. So how do we practice this? Again, what does it look like to pursue treasures in heaven? It looks like pursuing God, his mission in the world, and God's people. And an easy way that we understand to do this is obviously with our finances. That we use our money for kingdom causes, to advance the gospel. So giving generously, obviously, to church and to missions of various sorts, to, mercies, uh, to ministries of mercy that help out the poor and the needy. But it goes, uh, it goes beyond that. We also store up treasures in heaven as we worship the Lord and as we continue to grow in the knowledge of God, as we continue to grow in godly character, we're storing up treasures in heaven. And as well, we store up treasures in heaven when we heed the call that the Lord has given us of the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations, seeking to introduce people to Christ. And do we really recognize that the gospel is our greatest treasure? It's our greatest treasure. And what do we do with that treasure? It calls us to be intentional in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at our workplace, with those around us, friends and family, to invest that treasure, to invest in heaven in that way. But not only that, um, we also lay up our treasures in heaven with our prayers. Spurgeon, who was a great preacher, uh, made a great comment that, uh, that prayers never rust. There's a great reality to that. And even in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, talks about the fact that our prayers are on the altar before the very throne of God. That our, that our prayers are laying up treasures in heaven. And these are the things that we must not neglect. So laying up treasure in heaven actually has everything to do with our perspective. 
because we're not to adopt the mentality of the culture around us that's all about entitlement. You've earned it. You deserve it. Or you only go around this earth once, get what you can, or the person that has the most toys in the end wins. Things of that nature. That's not what we're to be about. Our perspective should not be entitlement, should not be privilege, as much as it should be that of the pilgrim. And when I think of pilgrim, I think of Thanksgiving, and I think of eating a lot, and that's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about pilgrim, it is the perspective of somebody that recognizes that they're walking through this earth under the gaze of God, in the direction of God, and especially in the direction of eternal life. That is the pilgrim. We have not brought ourselves into the world, and there's a purpose. And our purpose of our lives is not to live for ourselves. Which leads us to recognize that all of the gifts that God has given us, whether it is money or other things, other talents, things of this nature, we're not to hold them tightly in our hands, but rather to have an open hand before the Lord and to recognize that we're pilgrims. That he's given us this time on this earth to use everything for his glory. So Jesus has called us to make choices. There's two treasures, heaven and earth. There's two visions, that the path of light, the path of dark. But also, Jesus speaks of two masters. And this is in verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The point is clear. If we have two masters, our loyalty, our attention, our devotion, all of that will be divided. Yet there is great opposition to this at times, even in, in Christian circles. One, one opposition to this is we can have both. It's called the health and wealth gospel. It is the teaching that for the good Christian, God provides even more abundance and great health. And it is a horrible, horrible message that goes against the scriptures. And that is not what Jesus has called us to. And in fact, I was listening to an interview that, with Larry King that he had with a, with a guy that was a pastor that was all into health and wealth. And the pastor was talking about all of his fortune that he had and the way the Lord had blessed him with all of his houses and his nice cars and all this stuff. And Larry King finally just turns to him and he says something along the lines of, but why is it that your life looks so different from your master? Oh. Needless to say, the guy didn't have much to say on that one. And we need to take that to heart. But it may not be that we're all into health and wealth. But another way that we can fight against this of having two masters would be for our master to be the Lord on Sundays. But then Monday through Friday, that we're working for the dollar. But then on Saturdays, it's all about us and our own relaxation. And again, Jesus isn't really into that. Here's a, what one author said that reveals um, who our master is. He says this, certain traits identify those who live for wealth. Some save and save, for they feel secure only when they have a hoard of wealth. Others spend and spend because they believe money well spent can gain them the good life, a life of peace and pleasure. They give away very little, perhaps 1% to 4% of their income, just enough to avoid feeling guilty about their greed. Another set of traits marks those who live for God. They like to give money away, 
and like it better if no one notices. They're generous with their skills, giving them away as volunteers when appropriate instead of charging for everything. They give the basic tithe and more if possible. Now, obviously, I just I want to take this. I want to say we don't tend to be a church that emphasizes get your checkbooks out and give us more and more and more. That's not what this is about, but it is about a heart issue that we have to be able to look at who was our master. And so often, our checkbooks reveal a lot. And we have to be able to consider that and recognize what is the heart level issue going on. If we are not generous, whether it's money or our giftedness or whatever it is, if we're not generous towards the kingdom, what's going on deep within our hearts? That is the question this passage that's driving at. One one passage in particular that really, uh, it just strikes me. It's Hebrews 13 and verse 5. It's the heart of it. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think that really is the heart of it. Be content with what you have. And what's the answer? Because he'll never leave us or forsake us. So if we want comfort, if we want security, if we want pleasure, we want happiness, all that, is Jesus enough? Is he really enough? This is a great promise. And so our response to this promise should be to clear the clutter. To clear the clutter of our lives. Every once in a while, Tiffany leaves me at home with the kids for an extended period of time. As she has to go out to get some time away or run some errands. And inevitably, it always happens that she calls and she says, hey, I'm on my way home. And at that point, after I hang up the phone, I look around and I recognize the place is an absolute mess and it's go time. So I'm yelling at the kids, guys, do this, clean up this, get it all done. Take your young brother outside, hose him off. Get it. We got it. Mom's coming. Mom's coming. There was actually um, a pastor. This is a true story that similar situation, um, four kids and and his wife was coming home, and she expected him to do a little cleaning, you know, sweeping and dusting. He actually went into his garage, got his gas-powered blower, brought it into the house, and he cleaned the house. She gets home. She was impressed. She couldn't quite figure out why the, uh, why the house smelled like a giant engine. But why do we go to this trouble? Why do we clear the clutter? Part of it's fear, but that actually doesn't go along with my sermon. <laughs> The real, the deeper issue is so that when she walks in the door, she can look around and say, ah, you really do love me because that speaks volumes. My words aren't always enough. It's the actions that speak volumes. And our Lord is calling us to clear the clutter, to clear the clutter of our lives. What is the clutter? What are the things in our lives that keep us from focusing our heart and our devotion fully on the Lord? Jesus has talked about two treasures, two visions, and two masters. And the ultimate choice between the masters is who are we living for? Are we living for ourselves or are we living for the true master? And we have to recognize he doesn't leave us or forsake us. He is a good master. And is that enough? We know, the scriptures talk about, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ Though he was rich, for our sake, became poor, that we might be rich. And this 
is again, if we want to talk about upward mobility, it's not about the things around us. It is focused on our hearts and our eyes, everything on the fact that in Christ we're rich. And it leaves us with the question, is he enough? Is he enough? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and especially the reality of the treasures that, uh, that we have in heaven. And Father, help us to, uh, to really recognize the treasures on earth, what, they, what they're really about, and, and that they come to nothing. So help us to lay up treasures rightly. Pray that our focus, our heart, would be on devotion to Christ and that we would be able to ask the question, not of what can my stuff gain me in this world, but rather how can I glorify you with all that you have given. And thank you for the rich blessing that we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And now please stand for the benediction. And now receive this as the Lord's benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Swift and beautiful.